Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today we begin the book of 1 Samuel. Our readings are 1 Samuel 1 through 3. About this book. So, this is one of 12 books categorized as a historical book in the Bible. 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were originally one book, but translators divided it into two. Samuel is a prophet that Yahweh used to establish a kingship for Israel. Samuel was a Levite a descendant of the Kohathites. You can see 1 Chronicles 6.26 and 1 Chronicles 6.33. 1 Samuel is named after its main character, not its author, although Samuel is considered to be the author of some, but certainly not all of it, as some is recorded after his passing. 1 Samuel covers about 100 years, and 2 Samuel covers about 40 more. We've seen that the era of the judges proved disastrous for the tribes of Israel. When people begin doing what is right in their own eyes, in as little as a generation, they can become so far removed from Yahweh's ways that they are unrecognizable as His people. Imagine what several generations away will look like. Again, they saw no problem with it, and we can see by their actions that in their hearts, they thought they were doing fine in Yahweh's eyes as long as they worshipped him as one of their gods, and as long as their ways were something of a loose adaptation of his. Of course, Yahweh has shown us repeatedly how he feels about this. Now the era of Judges has come to a close, or is in the process of doing so, and we are about to begin a time of God's people being governed by kings. We will see, over time, the Father moving His people towards the day when they will be given the ultimate King, our Messiah. O glorious day when He returns! Word time! There are two common words you may see me write about a lot coming up, so I wanted to find them in the manner in which I am using them. One is apostasy. This is the abandonment or renunciation of a religious belief. And the other is syncretism. This is the combining and blending of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. Oh, Eli. From what we see, Eli's reproach of his children was half-hearted at best, and clearly the root of their problem began with lack of reverence for Yahweh in their upbringing. In his role as a priest, to know and allow his own children to behave this way, desecrate Yahweh's property, abuse his temple and his people in a role in which they claim to represent Yahweh himself is a high-handed sin. High-handed is intentional and unrepentant sin. Once we know what is wrong, committed with full intent after having been given grace and salvation. It is a very grave thing. Speaking with his children wasn't enough. It was time to be in there flipping tables and sending them outside the camp, so to speak. And that would have been just the least of what he should have done. Again, we are seeing the contrast of the unfaithful and the faithful, 
with Hannah and Samuel being examples of those who are living among the unfaithful while maintaining faithfulness to Yahweh. We're going to discuss high-handed sin again in a minute. It's worth noting that historically and moving forward, all attempts of Yahweh's people to govern themselves will fail. Whenever they cry out for a savior to rise up from among them, Yahweh may give them what they ask for in the interim, but ultimately this will serve to show them that the only leader that will not fail them is the coming slash returning, depending on where you are in history, true king. And of course, I'm referring to our Messiah. Another note, see how even though the temple and its priests are corrupt, still there is a remnant to join with. There are those that remain faithful. The Bible tells us that there will always be a remnant to join with. Always, peoples, always be the remnant. Something to think on. Remnant means a small quantity remaining. Take a moment to think about words and phrases like remnant, narrow path, and few will find it. All of these stand in direct contrast to thoughts of mega, masses, popular, etc. Have you noticed how many things we found which are out of place and out of line with Yahweh's will now that we have the foundational knowledge of Scripture? After studying the, quote, Old Testament, so much going forward is going to make a lot more sense because we have this wonderful knowledge and wisdom which Yahweh always meant for us to have. This aids our ability to discern what is good and bad in the eyes of Yahweh rather than just what is good and bad in our own eyes. 1 Samuel one twenty four. Recall that weaning age for tribal societies is not what we think of it today. A weaned child could easily be five to seven years old. Now, we are specifically told that Samuel was young, so he could have been on the lower range of this, or perhaps even a bit younger. 1 Samuel 2.3. This stood out to me. For Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Who weighs our actions? Yahweh. Him alone. So we should ask ourselves, against whose standards will our actions be weighed? His, of course. No one else. 1 Samuel 2.17 tells us that the men treated the offering, which belonged to Yahweh, with contempt. They treated it as if it were theirs to do with as they wished. We see this more often than not in our culture today. Today, offerings made to the Father are used to fund all manner of man's pursuits, while charity is often not extended to those the Father has commanded it be extended to. This is also a sobering consideration when it comes to making offerings. All too often, we tend to feel that if we make an offering to someone who tells us that they represent the Father, our duty is done and the responsibility for that offering is now on someone else. But that's simply not the case in the Father's eyes. One of these days, we may have a long talk about offerings versus tithes, the biblical definition of a tithe, and who is entitled to receive what, according to Yahweh's word. 1 Samuel 3.1 tells us that it was a rare thing for Yahweh to speak to people in those days, and also for him to give visions to his people. Why is this? Israel had fallen so far away from the Father that their tendency was not to hear him, much less obey him. Eventually, those who refuse to hear find themselves no longer being spoken to. This brings great understanding to us today. 
in much the same situation. It also explains the many opportunistic false prophets of our time. 1 Samuel 3.7 is something we need to pause on a minute. It reads, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel did not recognize the voice of Yahweh, that is clear, but now we have even more insight as to why. Samuel had not yet come to know Yahweh and his word. Now, this is stunning for a few reasons. Number one, his care had been entrusted to the high priest, and clearly, the high priest had not been tutoring Samuel as he should have. That is a tragedy. I'm sure they were going through the motions, serving in the temple, showing up and doing the dues, but Samuel didn't understand why he was doing what he did. He was simply doing what he was expected to do. Number two, Samuel was serving in the temple and didn't even know Yahweh. This is not at all a subtle reminder that someone can serve in a role of prestige in a place operating under the banner of Yahweh and not even know him. Side note, to his credit, Eli did instruct Samuel to hear and obey Yahweh, even though he himself did not. If you're going to go astray, at least don't encourage others to do the same. 1 Samuel 3.10 verses 1 Samuel 3.21 Notice that the text is telling us that Yahweh physically appeared to Samuel. And now, 1 Samuel 3.13-14, back to high-handed sin. Note, when this concept was first introduced in our reading, a lot of people had never heard of it before and understandably struggled. This is not a topic we can understand by reading someone's notes or by sitting down and pondering it for 10 minutes. It's going to take time, growth, and continued relationship with His Word to digest. I want to encourage you not to be offended, terrified, or anxious, but approach this as you would any other lesson the Father offers in His Word, with a desire to learn and grow closer to Him and His truth. We're here for the long haul, fam. These are hard verses to read, and we often dismiss them because they are, quote, Old Testament, and, quote, God doesn't punish people anymore because of Jesus. But both of these lines of thinking directly contradict Yahweh's word, and Messiah's as well. Let's read these verses and unpack it a bit. 1 Samuel 3, 13-14 And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Did you catch that? Eli's sons were blaspheming Yahweh, and Eli did nothing to stop them. Therefore, he is complicit. But the kicker comes in verse 14. The sin that is on Eli's house is a sin that cannot be atoned for forever. Now, we see in 1 Samuel 2.25 that Eli knew this all too well and saw it coming. We have discussed generational curses previously, and we'll continue to learn more as we move forward. Note that this says this sin cannot be atoned for. This does not say that none of Eli's descendants can have salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. So take a breath. (laughs) How can a sin not be capable of being atoned for? Yahweh tells us there is one type of sin that fits this bill, and that's high-handed sin. Let's read a bit. Numbers 15.30 says, But the person who does anything with a high hand 
whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Native or sojourner, you can think of that as native Israelite or Gentile. Also in Mark 3.29 we read, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to commit a high-handed sin? This, like so much of our understanding of the Word, is something that our knowledge needs time to mature in. Now, stay tuned for the key component of high-handed sin in a few paragraphs. I saw one simple definition of high-handed sin that I think puts it into a good context for today's thought pattern, and that is, I can do whatever I want and demand that Yahweh bless it. In other words, I can decide how I worship and what worship means to me. Exodus 32, 1-5 I can decide what part of Scripture I want to follow. See Matthew 5, 19. I can decide that I don't like the mean God of the Old Testament and just worship the God of the New Testament. See Malachi 3, 6. Now, note, there is only one God. I can live my life however I want and demand blessings. See Genesis through Revelation. These are some of the thoughts regarding high-handed sin. However, it is a very deep subject and has been debated for centuries. Of course, the thought of not being able to live as we see fit is going to be offensive to many, if not all of us, at some point in our lives. However, some say none of the things I just listed constitute a high-handed sin. I freely offer the caveat that if they are done out of ignorance or by following errant teaching, the Father will view them in light of the person having been misguided. But we are instructed to test all teachings to the straight edge of Yahweh's word, so we need to consider that at some point, the Father does expect us to take personal responsibility for our behavior. After all, He did give us an entire book of instructions, and It's not a bizarre thing to think a believer should feel a compulsion to read it. This is something for you to work out with the Father and keep in mind as we study and grow in the Word. Regardless, one key component to a high-handed sin is this. A high-handed sinner is not repentant. For a more in-depth look into high-handed sin, including references to it in the New Testament, see my notes on Numbers 14-15 through by clicking here. Whether we take the time to understand this or not does not take away our responsibility should we be found in a high-handed sin. 1 Samuel 2.35 contains a very important definition of how Yahweh determines faithfulness. It reads, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. How does the Father define a faithful priest? as one who will do what is in his heart, in his mind. This is Yahweh's heart and Yahweh's mind. Are they following their own heart and their own mind? No, they're following Yahweh's. And a person who is faithful to Yahweh understands that there is a distinct and vast difference between the two. These next few books are some of my favorites, and us reading them together is going to be fast-paced and exciting. So fasten your seatbelts and get ready for more adventure. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation. It is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.